It's the Ringer NBA show presented by FanDuel. The second half of the NBA season is here, and you can bet on the action with an assist from FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. Right now, you can check out the new and improved Parlay Hub. Filter by odds, sport, and bet type to easily find the most popular parlays and same-game parlays all in one page. Plus, start betting on the Explorer page and the Pulse and bet live same-game parlays for every NBA game. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, official partner of the NBA. The Ringer is committed to responsible gambling. Please visit theringer.com backslash RG to learn more about the resources and helplines available and listen to the end of the episode for additional details. Must be 21 years and older and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit theringer.com backslash RG. This episode is brought to you by Sonic. Fuel up for game day and any day, really, at Sonic. For a limited time, you can get the new $1.99 Sonic Crispy Tender Wraps. And trust me, you don't want to miss out. A crispy chicken tender and bold flavors like hickory barbecue and cheesy Baja crisp lettuce, and melty cheese that make the perfect bite. So go get yourself some TLC, some tender love and chicken, and buy a $1.99 Sonic Crispy Chicken Tender Wrap today. Tax not included. Limited time only at participated Sonic drive-ins. What's up, everybody? It's Austin Rivers from Off Guard, and I've got some exciting news. Off Guard, hosted by me and my guy, Pasha Hagigi, is officially moving to our own podcast feed. We are now dropping two shows every week. Me and Pasha go way back and talk so much hoops already that we figured it was time to fire up the mics and let you in on these conversations. Every week, Pasha and myself will hit on the biggest stories happening around the league. Tap into the show twice a week on our new Off Guard feed on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello and welcome to this special trade emergency edition of Group Chat. I am Justin Verrier and joining me as always, Rob Mahoney. But we have a special guest in the Big Waz role. It's Bill Simmons. What's up, Bill? Big shoes to fill. Big shoes to fill. Glad to be here. Happy almost New Year's, guys. Well, just let us know when you want us to clear out for like a five-minute rant on James Harden to fully get into the Waz headspace. And we'll, and, we'll, we'll give you the room you need. And Michael B. Jordan. Um <laughs> This is one of my favorite trades in a while because we we have no answers yet on all four of these guys, and I feel like both teams won the trade. But I'm excited to hear what what you guys think. Yeah, where yeah, do we so, want to start, Justin? Do you do you want to lay out the specifics? Sure, we can we can go through the details. So out of nowhere, there was really no prelude to this trade, as there typically is for most of these trades. Uh, the Knicks get OG Ananobi, Precious Achua, Malachi Flynn. The Raptors get RJ Barrett. Emmanuel quickly and a 2024 second round pick. Uh, it's from, interesting from from Detroit, so that's from almost definitely the 31st <laughs> pick in the draft. Not I'm nothing. So that's a that's a pretty good asset, right? And so now this isn't prime Shaquille O'Neal, which is what we thought was the price for OJ Ananobi for the past two years. Uh, but it seems like this is a pretty good trade for both sides. Bill, what did you think here? I'm excited to kind of have answers on all of these guys. That was my first thought. OG Ananobi, the chemistry's been off with the Raptors for three years. They keep changing the guys, but him and Siakam and maybe two others have been there the whole time. So at some point, maybe maybe it's you. Um, is he just a 15 points a game, three rebounds, a couple threes, and great defense guy? Is there a little more there? I don't know. Uh, quickly, really want to see him have his own have his own team. 
RJ, I have no idea, and we can talk about him later. And then Precious and Tibbs just feels like a match made in heaven. So <laughs> I watched the Raptors, coincidentally, last night play the Celtics as the Celtics tried to keep their undefeated home streak alive, which I know you guys are riveted by. It's true. Um, sure. And we have, we're missing half of our starters somehow outlast the Raptors. But it, it was the same feeling I've gotten watching the Raptors all year, Rob. It's like this team's off. The pieces don't totally work. We felt this way. This is year three of that now. And it was just like, what is this team? So it was clear they were going to do something. Did you think this was the most they could get for Ananobi? Interesting question. Because, yeah, Justin, you framed it in terms of the Shaquille O'Neal level hall we've all been talking about. And I think a lot of that stems from the Raptors reportedly turning down, I think it was three first round picks from Memphis a few seasons ago. In, in terms of that kind of trade negotiation. And that's kind of set the market and the conversation around Ananobi for a long time. I wonder if we misread that. Not as the Raptors saying three picks isn't enough, but just categorically as a franchise, we're not interested in starting from scratch. What we want is players like this. You know, a, admittedly a wild card in RJ Barrett, a guy who, I, yeah, I don't know how to forecast his future at all. But I'm most excited, young player-wise, at Quickly's fit here. Like, Quickly and Scotty Barnes, that is a match made in heaven in terms of a point guard who is never going to be a super high-level playmaker, but a good shooter, a good defender, a guy who knows how to play without the ball, pairing him with your ball-dominant creative wing who's a great passer. That makes a lot of sense. And then RJ kind of slotting in as, we'll see what we can get between those two. So maybe it's more along those lines where Toronto, look, I'm pleased as hell that they honestly made a trade. That feels like a Christmas miracle in itself. So I'm I'm happy to kind of judge these returns and see what quickly can do there. Did I miss Emmanuel quickly becoming the new Chris Paul? Because yes, everything that I have seen coming off of this trade is that quickly is the best player in the trade. He needs a new start in order to really show what his value is. I am a big quickly fan. I always kind of thought of him more as the microwave Jamal Crawford late stage sort of player than he is maybe Knicks level Jamal Crawford. And so I guess what is quickly at this point? Well, that's the thing is he doesn't have to be the guy coming off the bench to put up points. He can do that. And he can slot in next to Jalen Brunson as he like he was a part of the Knicks best lineups this season with Brunson and Randall playing more of a tertiary role. But now we get to see kind of what he has as more of a lead guard or at least kind of a secondary creator alongside guys like Barnes and Siakam, which that feels like a pretty comfortable spot for him. I'll tell you one thing quickly is a guy who sucked in the playoffs for the <laughs> That's Knicks. That's true. And. It's tough because, and we saw the Warriors were in this spot with Jordan Poole, who did not suck in the playoffs for them uh, at least two years ago because he was one of the reasons they won the title. You get in this spot where you don't want to pay $30 million a year for a guy who's like a little too good to be your sixth man, but not quite good enough to be your your lead guy and the guy who has the ball in the last five minutes in the game. I also feel like, I look at this from a Knicks side, I tweeted this today, can you get can you find 80 to 90% of what quickly did for you with other players that are available in the trade market? Like we know Utah wants to trade Jordan Clarkson at this point. They have all these guards that need to play. Could you, could you turn an expiring into Jordan Clarkson and then hope he's 80 to 85% as, as, as good as quickly was. Um, I also had, he was a restricted free agent coming up and is the type of guy that I think another team would have come in and been like, we're going to put the Knicks to the fire here. Here's a here's 110 million or whatever the max was. Are you guys ready to pay 25 million dollars a year for a six man? Then there's the Brunson piece of it, Justin. Where the Brunson has the ball all the time, 
And if you're at the end of games and you're playing Brunson and quickly together, I'm going to be able to get whatever shot I want on the other side, right? So your offense has to be spectacular. And this is what I said last week on my pod. I just felt like the Knicks were between, they weren't explosive enough, but then they also weren't big enough without Robinson. So it's like, what is this team? This is a team that's just not a threat in the East. So now you have Ananobi. Now you're better defensively. And there's still one move, one more move coming, right? If they're really serious about this year, I don't feel like they're done yet. Yeah, Ananobi definitely feels like he fits the Knicks type, where Ananobi at his best offensively, despite the fact that he thinks he should have this different role, be able to handle the ball more, he needs to be able to play bully ball and stand in the corner and shoot threes. That's what he's good at. And yes. that fits what Tibbs wants to do. He just wants to outmuscle teams a lot of the time. And it does clear up, as you were saying, Bill, mm. opportunities for Brunson to just be magical, which he has at various points in the season. Uh, the flip side of this is it also opens up opportunities for Julius Randle to be magical. And I think that's more like Ooh. dark magic that nobody wants <laughs> in their lives. But at the same time, this does feel like it clarifies that starting Knicks lineup a little bit. And I yeah. think you hit the key point there, Bill. I think it also gives them runway to figure out the next move down the line. It, it might be disappointing for Knicks fans at this point. They're waiting for a superstar. Finally, we talk about Embiid. We talk about Mitchell. And it's a star role player in OG and Anobi. But if anything, I think this just makes it easier to bring on someone like even a Mitchell, maybe not the best fit, but like the next guy who is going to lead the next Knicks era. I think OG is a perfect fit for that sort of team. Yeah. And RJ was not going to be a fit for that kind of team just yeah. by skill set. You know, it's not even just the difference in their percentages shooting, but how they're guarded and teams just don't respect RJ's jumper at all. It leads to a lot of clutter in the lane, which is why the Knicks have to outmuscle people because it's the only way they're ever going to get to the basket with kind of the spacing they had set up. You're losing a good shooter and quickly, but you're gaining a good shooter who's big in Ananobi. And the timing of this trade does not feel like an accident. Like the Knicks just got absolutely bodied by the magic. Franz Wagner, Apollo Bancaro, the exact kind of game where you could use OG Ananobi. The Raptors just had a starting lineup change earlier this week where they took Dennis Schroeder out of their starting lineup to try to get more spacing on the floor, more shooting on the floor. Now both teams are kind of getting what they need for the moment, but they're moves that could serve both franchises long-term ultimately. And I, I like the idea of Ananobi as a stepping stone toward what this team can ultimately be. And wouldn't you know it, another CAA client in New York. Like, how does, uh, how does this keep happening? <laughs> Isn't it um, Leon Rose's son who is OG's agent? I think that's true. <laughs> so I would keep, flip keep that around the, the other way. They had like real ties to Quickly because I've heard the CAA thing a few times. Quickly was a very sure. difficult guy for those. I think they knew Quickly since he was like a, you know, a junior in high school. Um, the RJ, let's take these guys one at a time. Yep. Because all the Knicks fans that I know were super frustrated and kind of like either half out, three fourths out, or all the way out on RJ because. You know, he's not a guy that necessarily, if you ISO'd him, he can't do anything. They, and now we have cool stats where you can look all this stuff up, right? Not awesome as the as the ball hinder in a pick and roll. Not awesome as an ISO guy. Okay at post-ups. Spotty three-point shooter, but a guy that if you watch on the right night, you're like, oh, he's interesting. He plays really hard. There's something here. Like, I liked him for a while, but now it's, it's year four, and you kind of you start becoming who you are in year four. And to me, he's not consistent enough. I thought he needed a change of scenery. So good gamble for Toronto. And he's Canadian, which, you know, oh. leads us toward maybe this is the gateway for the Wigan Siakam <laughs> trade that I've been pushing forever and just put more Canadians on that team. But 
I guess, I, what do you guys think ultimately about RJ? Like, is he ever an all-star? Is he ever the third best guy in a finals team? Like, I don't see either of those things for him. Well, Bill, I'm just I, glad you're here for this historic moment of bringing the Canadian diaspora a little bit closer <laughs> to home. I know this has been a passion of yours for a long time. So, I, I've, For years, for literally 25 years, I've wanted it. And now we're getting closer. Yeah, but I'm I'm pretty flaky on uh, RJ Justin. Like I, again, there are nights where you believe in it, but it feels like just about the most hollow and the least reliable eighteen to nineteen points a game you're going to find in the NBA. Yeah. Well, the other thing he, is, and Rosillo has been talking about this on his pod for I think two years. It was weird that he didn't play crunch time at all. Like I think he was seventh in crunch time minutes for them. Rosillo said two weeks ago, which. To me, is the ultimate red flag. If your coach is thinking in the last five minutes of games, you're not one of my five, then it's time for you to probably get traded. And then if Quickly and Brunson were two of your five, what are you going to do? You're not winning four playoff rounds with that. So you mentioned this was the stepping stone type of trade. I, I can't wait to bring the Celtics into this, guys. You know, it's it's been almost what? <laughs> How? 11 minutes. Had How to are they related? In. Well, we traded for Ray Allen in 2007. And me and all the other Celtic fans were like, what are we doing? We have Paul Pierce and Ray Allen and nothing. What is this team? Why did we do this? But it was the gateway to the KG trade. I always thought that was like the best gateway trade. This is probably will not have the same results as that. <laughs> but this is a trade now where you have Brunson, you have Ananobi, who's a three, not a two. But now a Mitchell trade makes more sense or somebody like that because they kept all their picks. They still have the Fournier expiring, which is like almost 19 million. They still have the Mitchell Robinson. It, it sucks to trade a guy who's hurt, but he's still making 16 a year. And you could package basically any combination of anything now for a guy making 40 and all your picks and really make a move. And they're a little closer than they were, I think, 24 hours ago is my takeaway. Yeah, that's why I like it for the Knicks. If only because RJ always felt like a placeholder for the player that was ultimately going to fill that role. He yeah. has done an admirable job of forcing whatever he was, whatever star potential he had into a box to become a role player. He has really excelled better than I ever expected of kind of being an ancillary option for the Knicks. And I'm curious to see how he's going to evolve on that with the Raptors. Uh, I think it's a, it makes sense that he doesn't really shoot threes that well. And so in that sense, it makes him a perfect Raptor, but Rude. he always just seemed a little out of sorts uh, for that Knicks team. And so I do feel like maybe giving him some more space to roam with the Raptors where they could rip and run might actually lead him to something that he's going to be. But honestly, I just, I, I don't know what his future holds. And if it is going to be at this level, that contract is pretty arduous because it's going to go on for another two, three seasons after this. Rob, did you notice what Justin just did there? It was what very nice and diplomatic. <laughs> But he called RJ a good stats, bad team guy. With, mm. But he didn't say it, but no. he did it for 90 seconds. But you're basically <laughs> you're saying, I want to see this guy on bad teams. Yeah, I mean, he's actually a good, he's like a decent stats, good team guy, I guess, would, would be mm. the evolution of that. With oh, the that yeah, maybe that, that's the ceiling. <laughs> decent stats, good team guy. I mean, the, the precious piece of this, I don't, I don't know if it should be in the first 15 minutes of this podcast, but I don't want to <laughs> sleep on that because we've seen... Tibbs hang on to Taj Gibson here like like a binky blanket for 15 years. <laughs> and Precious is we I mean, Rob, don't you think Precious on this Knicks team is just an immediate we're gonna be watching a week from now? Like, oh my God, this is like the perfect Tibbs guy. Jesus. 
okay, I I, I kind of want the isolated Tibbs cam during every precious Achua minute because he is definitely the kind of player who will make a coach pull their hair out. And yet, because like the Knicks are playing Taj Gibson as their backup center right now, you almost have to play him. Like he has yeah. to be a meaningful part of this team. And I'm kind of curious to see how the benches for both of these teams play out now because New York's bench had been pretty solid for them. Solid to the point that they started kind of messing with their starting lineup. You know, Dante DiVincenzo goes in there. Josh Hart closes in place of RJ Barrett, as you were alluding to, Bill. Like, they've had all these options because of their bench. But now everything's a little more shallow. Now everything's a little more reliant on the precious Achuas to make everything go and make everything work. That kind of suits Tibbs in some ways because he only wants to play seven guys in the first place. But precious is now essential personnel for the New York Knicks. And I I don't feel great about that. But here we are. We do you think biggest loser surgically repaired OJ and Anobi's knee being on a Tibbs team? <laughs> so, although I guess he played for Nick Nurse, who was like kind of Tibbs 2.0 with running guys into the ground. So maybe well, maybe he's used to it. Maybe the biggest winner though, because whatever wink wink nudge nudge deal OJ Ananobi is probably getting to remain a member of the New York Knicks is probably good for a guy with a surgically repaired knee. Yeah, true. I do love that Mitchell Robinson's injury has sent Tibbs into this existential crisis where he's reaching back to his old life with Taj Gibson. He just needs a center in this deal because God forbid if he ever plays small ball and like tries to do things that are a little bit more inventive, this guy has to play big and physical no matter what. It's just like, it's so perfect. Where was Joakim Noah? He's got to be like, what am I, chopped liver? I can't get brought back. I One in no big question I had for you guys. Yeah. Could they have done better than this? Like if Messiah had called us and said, hey, I'm going to trade Ananobi this weekend. Like I always thought, and I don't know where Indiana is. Maybe maybe they're not, they're not, uh, they're kind of in no man's land trying to figure out are we buyers or sellers. But I always thought if they wanted to put Matherin on the table with uh, Jairus Walker, something like that, or Philly, if Philly wanted to, um, I guess just put a t- bunch of picks in. Who knows? Daryl's probably going to play until February. But I just I'm surprised that this was the best deal. But at the same time, I really do like quickly. And I, and I think for what this Toronto team needed, especially watching them last night and the other times I've watched them, it just feels like the last five minutes of the game, even dating back to the Van Vliet era the last couple of years, they just never had closers. They would always any close game. You just always felt like they were going to come up short. So I get the seduction with with quickly, but I it is kind of crazy that we were talking three first round picks and an asset for him a year ago. This does feel less than what we thought. Some of that might be the difference in that timing where, yes, you could get more a year or two ago, but now staring down an expiring contract for OG Ananobi where a player like that is going to have an incredible market. There's going to be a lot of interested Mm. teams. And yeah, I I think it does come down to what the Raptors wanted. And this is a team that, as much as possible, has tried to stave off rebuilds going back to the end of the Rudy Gay era. You know, like they they have not wanted to bottom out for a variety of reasons. And so maybe they were just staring down those first-round picks and saying, honestly, we'd rather have young talent. We'd rather have guys who can step in, especially once they got Barnes, and be a part of something that's growing. As to whether that's growing in the immediate, like I think they are, they're better positioned. They're better, like the structure of this team feels better than it did a day ago. I don't know that the Raptors are going to be a, a great team this season or a dramatically better team this season, but they don't have to be dramatically better to make a run at the final few play-in spots either. Like there, there is ground here for the taking for them. So Siakam has to be the next trade then. Like I, I don't, I don't see how he makes sense at this point. Yeah, especially I mean, I, with I, RJ in there. Yeah. 
I felt like he hasn't made sense for, there for the last two or three seasons, and, and we've been here. So at this point, nothing will surprise me, but I would hope this is the first domino to fall. Rob, how do you feel just in your head about a spacing with R.J. Barrett and Siakam? How's that? How, what, what kind of defenses are we throwing at a, at a team with two of those five guys out there? Don't forget Jakob Pertl, another, another important Schreuder. part of their spacing. Yeah. Oh, my God. Sh- this is like the anti-spacing team. Schroeder's good. But look, just having quickly, plus Gary Trent Jr. shooting has turned a little bit, plus Scotty Barnes has been hitting threes well mm. this season. I mean, that might be the best shooting Raptors team in years at this point. So <laughs> yeah, fair. On- onward and upward for Toronto. Well, maybe that's why they targeted players over picks here. I wonder if Scotty Barnes at this point is just too good in order to bottom out and that you'll all be always be in the like 10 to 12 range with this team that actually trying to play for picks isn't really the way to go there. Well, hold on. On that point, don't don't they have San Antonio gets their top six protected first, right? From yeah, the person. So, right? yeah. so you either have to like crater or be a little bit better where you don't want us to give them like the seventh pick in the draft. That would suck. Right. True. Right. And so I don't know. I also wonder, like, are we overvaluing first round picks at this point? We've, we're coming off an era where they're like, everyone is going for five to six first round picks. And you look at the teams that have been accumulating them and like, what have they actually done with any of these? Look at Oklahoma City. They have drafted so well with virtually like uh, 10% of the draft hall that they have that what are they going to do with all these guys that are piling up behind them? I wonder if it actually makes sense. And we're getting into an era where like actually going for younger distressed assets is actually the better thing. And that's why to me, the most interesting part of this trade is that like, this is kind of a Maasai challenge trade to himself. Like he's kind of been missing over the past couple of years, holding on to guys for too long. I wonder if actually finding something in quickly in Barrett might rehab his own value as a GM here, because like those are the type of guys that I think might be undervalued and might be the market inefficiency right now. Yeah. Even if they had gotten three firsts back for OG at this stage, that still puts them what third, maybe fourth in terms of acquired draft capital. If some if some big yeah. trade came available, you know the Thunder are ahead of them in line. The Jazz are ahead of them in line. I think the Pelicans are probably still ahead of them in line with their assets. And so, what what do three firsts really get you unless any of those individual picks is going to get you straight up at the top of the lottery? If they're just kind of mid to late firsts, that kind of capital doesn't go very far right now. Um, I was as you were talking, I was thinking biggest loser of not getting Ananobi. And I think we all think Ananobi is a good player, but I, I don't think he's, I don't think he's a $40 million guy. I don't think he's like special, but I think he's a really good three and D guy, but watching OKC beat the living fuck out of Denver last night. And you think like, all right, how do you improve this team without messing with it? And you know, you have like basically the, the Wiggins spot. There, there's a couple of like their seventh, eighth, ninth guys. If you could just, put an awesome guy and give that awesome guy their 30 minutes, an awesome fourth, fifth, sixth guy instead of like some of their, uh, some of their bench guys, that would have been a really interesting Ananobi spot. Just like throw him on that team without them, just with a bunch of picks. But I, as, as you said, Justin, it didn't seem like Masai wanted picks. He wanted players, which was one of the cool things about this trade. It was like an old school basketball trade. Two for two. The Detroit second <laughs> yeah. round picks an asset, but for the most part, it's like, eh, not sure about our two guys here. What about those two guys? You're not sure, and we're just swapping. Two for two. Well, the Malachi Flynn erasure happening on this podcast yeah. is. I didn't even know he was in the trade until Justin <laughs> mentioned it. But yeah, sorry, sorry, Malachi. 
Well, you're talking about losers. I think Philly probably has to be up there too, because not yes. only are you taking him off the market, probably because I assume the Knicks are going to sign OG to a big extension this summer, but you're keeping him away from the Sixers who probably need him more than they need a Zach Levine or a Donovan Mitchell. They don't need star power. They need ancillary star role players, and OG is the best one of those we have in the league. Yeah, we're in a weird place with the trade market right now where there are kind of if not a surplus of guys on the market yet, a surplus of guys who plausibly could be, who are more ball-dominant guards or scoring-oriented guards. And most of the teams that are up there in the standings right now that are really contending, I mean, their scoring is accounted for. They're looking for perimeter defense. They're looking for size and flexibility and switchability. They're looking for a guy like OG who, on the right night in the right matchup, he's guarding opposing centers, right? Like, that's the kind of optionality he gives you. And so... For, for a player like that to be taken off the market when now we're just looking around at the Levines and the Mitchells, a lot of sameness, I I think that's a tough blow for a lot of contenders and would-be contenders under these circumstances. Well, and you think with the Knicks, too, who do you have to beat in the East? You have to beat Boston, who's 16-0 and 0 at home. I'm going to say it again. Um, <laughs> but you got to go through Boston, and you got to be able to defend Tatum, and you got to be able to defend Brown. you got to be able to defend Giannis. And you have to be able to defend Giannis and Pat Connaughton. Um, <laughs> and you have to be able to defend Jimmy Butler. And, you know, it's just always good to have one guy who can uh, do that and potentially that opens the door for them for two. I was looking at, to me, this hat, there has to be another Knicks trade because you got to replace the quickly punch off the bench. Even if it's like TJ McConnell, who I continue to throw in a trade, so I continue mm-hmm. to like, but just say, hey, TJ, can you, can you just for eight minutes a half? like run the offense for us when Brunson's not playing. Even that, you know, could he be 70% of what quickly was? I like where they're at, but I, I still don't feel like from a firepower standpoint, there has to be a monster trade coming. And and it's, you know, Mitchell is the guy we're all staring at. Does he go to Miami? Does he go to Brooklyn? Does he go to the Knicks? Is there some mystery team we don't know about? But I just find it hard to believe Cleveland's going to keep Mitchell and wait till the summer. He's going to have more value in January and February, I think. Don't you? So potential TJ McConnell, Josh Hart, Isaiah Hartenstein. Yeah, that's a feisty is, team. Is this too much of every dad's favorite player on one team? <laughs> I guess is my question. Is it like is it too much more It's a feisty fist pump team. A lot of slapping yeah. floorboards going on, that's for sure, Justin. <laughs> TJ McConnell could have gone to Villanova. He would have been totally happy. Oh, there. yeah. Perfect fit there, right next to Dante DiVincenzo. Yeah. I mean, do we think that Mitchell is the fit here on the one hand i don't I think he's don't ideal. but i'm not against yeah. it yeah I, I i don't love him and brunson together i know rob doesn't either but no. I, it, if you're gonna go all in on somebody there's not that many somebodies you know there's how many top we're doing we're you made me do yet another ringer top 100 list <laughs> and i'm going through it and you got you do those top 30 guys and just none of them are available and if you're going to trade everything for a top 30 guy, even Towns isn't available at this point. So who's the guy? Yeah, that's the thing. And that's why I kind of don't think this has to be a move made this season. The big the big salary that would be outgoing in a potential deal is probably Julius Randle. He's got another year under contract, another year to work with. Maybe this is the kind of thing where you get this together for now. You get OG Ananobi comfortable. You figure out what your starting five looks like. And then you're playing a longer game with the trade market, as as the Knicks always are, honestly. But there is that glaring hole at the two where DiVincenzo is so up and down. 
so yeah. streaky as a player. His decision making offensively can really be pretty infuriating sometimes, but the effort is there. He'll get like have games where he just gets four offensive rebounds that change a quarter. He has those performances in him, but I don't know that you want him as a starter. And it's pretty clear at this point that Tibbs doesn't want Quentin Grimes as the scar- starter either. So if you're not plugging Josh Hart in there, I don't know who the long-term answer is. So whether it's Donovan Mitchell, whether it's Zach Levine, whether it's a player to be named oh, later, there's, oh. there is an opening there for sure. Zach Levine. The name has been dropped. This episode is brought to you by Indeed. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash RingerMBA. Just go to Indeed.com slash RingerMBA right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This episode is brought to you by Hotels.com. If you're busy like me and you're trying to catch your kids' games, it's important to have somewhere where you can go to find a good hotel. We're all over the place. Sometimes... You know, we're in Florida, we'll be in New York. We want to take the wife on a quick vacation and get away. Whether you're looking for a relaxing getaway or heading out of town to see the playoffs, Hotels.com app has a perfect hotel for every trip. Compare up to five hotels side by side so you can see prices, amenities, and star ratings without having to switch back and forth between options. So start planning your next getaway and find your perfect somewhere in the Hotels.com app today. This episode is brought to you by Sonic. Fuel up for game day and any day, really, at Sonic. For a limited time, you can get the new $1.99 Sonic Crispy Tender Wraps. And trust me, you don't want to miss out. A crispy chicken tender and bold flavors like hickory barbecue and cheesy Baja. Crisp lettuce and melty cheese that make the perfect bite. So go get yourself some TLC, some tender love and chicken. And buy a $1.99 Sonic Crispy Chicken Tender Wrap today. Tax not included. Limited time only at participated Sonic drive-ins. <laughs> well, let me ask you guys this question because it's something I've been considering. I love Jalen Brunson. As we mentioned, he's gotten even better this year. Seems like the yeah. Knicks fans really love him. Seems like he's a Knicks player. He has that sort of like grinded out spirit to him. Are we sure this guy is going to be on the final edition of the Knicks when they hit their Nirvana and they get that big star? Wow. Trade? Like, are we sure that this guy is a keeper long term? Becky Hammond has entered the chat. (laughs) Yeah, I guess so. Can we believe in short kings in this era? Yeah. I think the important thing is that he's not the king. He's a king among kings. You know, he's like one of your best players, but maybe not your definitively best player. And that that is what handicaps the Knicks right now. And that's okay. Like, it's okay that he's just one of the 20 or so best guys in the league and amazing offensively and improving. That's I don't see why there's anything wrong with that. And this is a team that, given its talent base, does overachieve. Isn't that what we like? Isn't that what we appreciate and love about the Knicks? Is that they grind out games they probably shouldn't win, that they beat yeah. some more talented teams they probably shouldn't beat. Like that's an admirable thing. The the issue for them because you mentioned maybe this isn't the year where they make another move. I actually think that Fournier contract at eighteen point six, which is expiring, with the way their contracts are going to work in general, and if they pay OJ and Nobi and they're paying Randall and they're paying Brunson, they're just not going to have flexibility to add another bigger piece. So they kind of have to move that deal for somebody by February. And whether that's just a smaller move like Jordan Clarkson or you got Terry Rozier is another guy I think would be really good for them um, and potentially could even play some crunch time or some, you know, some play next to Brunson. Um, But I think they have to 
parlay uh, Fournier into something. You, Justin raised the point before we started the pod, Rob. Now that Ananobi has been traded, who is our new trade machine go-to guy? Oh, my god! Who's going to be the 2023-24 trade machine MVP? Because Ananobi on FanDuel before this trade was like minus 400 to win the MVP. And I don't think Zach Levine, I, you know, there's been action on him, but I just don't, I'm not buying it. Is it DeJounte Murray? I feel like he's oh. kind of locked down the favorite spot, right? DeJounte Murray's a great one because from a distance, a lot of fan bases will think that he's still playing good defense and they'll talk themselves into him being a great addition for their team without realizing that that ship has, has sailed maybe several seasons ago. Has it ago sailed at this point. or is he unhappy? Because that's, that's, a, that's a tough one to figure out. Because Maybe it hasn't sailed, team. but he's he's stored it in another in another dock. It's it's at a distant pier you have to drive to now <laughs> to access. Uh, but he, but that's a perfect one because yeah, Levine. I think there's going to be a lot of people as we're trade machining who will talk themselves out of Zach Levine just on principle. He's just not the kind of player that some teams need. He's not to everyone's taste based on his shot selection, based on his style of play. Or if you want but, to win win games and be in the playoffs, maybe overly harsh like that. But sure, I, I take your point. Uh, but DeJounte Murray is the, the archetype of a player that I think is more broadly appealing in the same way that OG is. Well, is the answer right in front of us where Pascal Siakam has to be in the conversation at the very least? He's mm. on the ballot if he's Gotta not be. at the top of it at this point. Oh, FanDuel, I just saw Samad shooting up for Draymond Green. You <laughs> could have had him at 50-1 oh, no. yesterday. He's now 35-1. to 1. I'm not sure what's going on here. <laughs> That's a good one. This, this is a good breakout for, for us, though, for... T- for top 100, this is a good breakout for us. <laughs> top 10 trade machine guys, just like a little little offshoot, some side blurbs. I think that could do good numbers for us. So we think Siakam's one, or you think it's DeJounte Murray? I would say Murray one, maybe Siakam two. In the spirit of a fluid list, DeJounte is one, but he's probably going to drop. Siakam is a... He, he's rocking steady. He's always going to be top three until he gets eventually moved or signs elsewhere. Murray is, is very in right now. Jeremy Grant's in there. Brogdon. Gotta be. Is Jared Allen on that list for you? Because he is for me. He's on the trade machine list where like you don't actually want to trade him, but you feel like you have to. Like nobody mm. wants to make Jared Allen trades. No. It's just yeah, it, it's just like oh, uh, I need to center Jared Allen. He makes a lot of money yes. and seems out of place Rob, in the Cavs. First the Cavs of all, speak for yourself because <laughs> I don't think I haven't tried seventeen Jared Allen to OKC trades. Oh, I, I've tried to trade him everywhere too, but I'm reluctant to do it. Like he, he seems like a good hang. He's a great vibes guy. He's a good player, but Cleveland needs some kind of shift, some kind of answer. And he is the easiest answer to provide for by trading Jared Allen here and there. But who exactly needs an extra, like pretty traditional center these days? It's a, it's a tough market. If Presti gets really serious, it's going to be like the Scorsese movie when like the Gimme Shelter starts playing. You're like, oh, what's going on? Are we about to have a montage? And then all of a sudden, he just starts grabbing. It's like, oh, my God, he traded for Jared Allen. My God, they got Jordan Clarkson. And he just starts cashing in those picks because I think he should. I, you, As you know, I am a big, your window is your window. Don't yep. try to think it's going to be 12 years long. Shea's one of the best players in the world. He's fucking kicking ass night after night now. And he's staring down the best dudes in the league. And he's outplaying them more than 50% of the time. This team, with the way Chet's playing, they have an obligation to go try to chase the title. I I don't even think it's an argument anymore. Cash in the fucking picks. Go for the title. That's the thing about the Jared Allen type trades, though, is that Shea is one of the best players in the world. 
Chet Holmgren is also one of the best players in the world, and I I want him playing as much five as he can handle, short term and long term. Right. So, but you need they, you need a you need some sort of luxury security with that sure. in a playoff series. Yes, you're you're you asking a lot from a second year guy to he's going to have to play against Anthony Davis in a yeah. in a series potentially and Jokic a Gobert Towns combo. Like they just don't have enough size yet. So. Whether it's Jared Allen, whether it's Pirtle, like they got to get somebody. Don't you think? Who else am I missing, Justin? They got to get some big body. I think the scary thing with OKC is I wonder if they don't need to make any move because they could just oh, use wow. this, this postseason. Yeah, I, I just think that they could use this postseason as a, almost like a test case to see what they actually have with some of these guys in postseason basketball. And it's just like I watched the game like you guys did against the Nuggets, and it seemed like their style contrast might actually force certain teams to be out of sorts. Like, I want to see OKC against a team like the Timberwolves, who is going to play big and has to play big, yeah. be able to keep up with the offensive firepower we saw it. on OKC. They, Minnesota, yeah. was they were really struggling with that. With uh, they just spread them out and attack them, and yeah, you're right. I I still think they could improve those seven, eight, nine spots, though. At least they could. Maybe you do a hybrid model of both of those, and add one or two kind of lower level guys. I don't know. And they do have so many picks too, where it's not like they have to cash in the whole haul. It could just be a couple of firsts, a couple of swaps in addition to a rotation player, and that can get you a meaningful upgrade. You know, a more veteran player swapping in for one of these other spots, but. They have so much young talent. They have so many guys who seem ready. I, I understand the reluctance, but yet they're they're going to have to spend these picks on somebody at some point. The Shea the Shea stuff is just ludicrous now. Like I was looking up different advanced stats, and I mean he doesn't have a slew of post ups, but he has enough to at least qualify. And he was like the second best post up player <laughs> in the league, on top of like all the other crazy Shea stats. He just gets whatever shot he wants. Everyone's on a yo-yo, and uh, I would love to see them do stuff. I mean, I don't think they were expecting like like this version. I was probably one of the few people that was really like, I think this could be a 50-win team, but nobody saw the Chet piece of this unfolding like it's unfolded. I mean, Chet's It's been like, wild. Not only is he one of the most efficient big men in the league, but he's completely unafraid at the end of these games, and... um. I, I just would I would have thought this would have been the year four version of him, not rookie year. It's nuts. This is how I know this is a proper group chat episode, is we end up spending half our time talking about the Thunder one way or another. This is this is who we are here. Well, Justin, can we do a bit of cause Waz isn't here and I'm in Waz's spot? Can we all take a swing on what Waz's reaction to this trade would have oh, been? Oh yes. Because he's not sure. even awake yet. It's not even noon on the Pacific time, so he's he's still asleep. He doesn't know the trade happened. He definitely would have found at least ten to twenty minutes to take a swipe at Scotty Barnes and say, yep. "Like this guy actually isn't a superstar. Why are yeah. they building around him?" That would have been part of it. He also would have made the point about trading draft picks that we were talking about before. Because was if there's anything he hates more than Scotty Barnes oh. is GMs that load up on draft picks. What else am I missing, Rob? I mean, there definitely would have been a huge Julius Randle side swipe in the middle on how OG's not going to get any shots, even if he thinks he's going to get more opportunity in New York. I'm mm. trying to think of what Waz's like personality diagnosis of OG Ananobi would be. I feel like we sh I should know better by now, but we, we might need to go straight to the source on that one. If, if he's really a New York kind of guy is my ultimate mm. question oh, that I need, I need Waz's answer on. Yeah. I think Can there's a zag. I don't want to make it because I like quickly, but there is a zag for somebody with quickly where 
it's like, oh, cool, you were beating up, you know, the benches on all these different teams, putting up big stats. But what's it going to be like now that you have to play 35 minutes a game? What are your stats going to look like? We're watching this now with Jordan Poole in Washington. It's a little different when you're the guy when defenses are planning against you versus you just get to come in with three minutes left in the first quarter and you get to torch, you know, backup point guard du jour on the other team. I categorically I don't reject. I want to make that one. I reject the quickly pool comparison. I, I cannot abide I, it. I cannot I stand for it. I'm just saying it's sitting it. there for somebody. <laughs> I, I didn't personally want to do it, but it was a take exercise. Mm. Yeah, quickly. The, the big thing for him is how bad he was in the playoffs and what the reasons were for that. The, like, he was borderline unplayable. Yeah. So what did that mean? Is that just the, the spotlight got big? He went from all the Knicks buzz, six man of the year. Oh my God, this guy's amazing. He's the best six man guard we've ever had. All that stuff to we can't play him. And it was in two weeks. Yeah, and that, that would be the flip side of this trade for the Raptors if you're looking to be pessimistic about it is there are a lot of bets that Masai is making on some of these guys to be more than they have been. Uh, getting any sort of shooting and like supplementary, supplementary creation next to Scotty Barnes is helpful, but like mm. it's going to take some actual like thinking and strategizing in order to bring something else out of these guys. Toronto has also had that problem where they've tried to install this this different offense this season that's a lot more kind of whirling action handoffs into handoffs into screens everyone's getting involved and it's been a lot of possessions that go absolutely nowhere and you put rj barrett in those actions you put emmanuel quickly who's a very good player but not someone who has like overwhelming burst and is going to create something out of nothing you can still see a lot of those possessions going nowhere. You can still yeah. see their offense kind of idling, even though these guys are both talented, are both capable. Theoretically, your spacing is going to be a little bit better, but the Raptors still kind of are who they are, and they're going to need a big jump from someone like Quickly coming in, not only getting his minutes stretched out, but being a, a different kind of creator a little bit. They need someone who's able to force the issue a little bit more. It would be funny if Masai did the press conference and was like, "I listen, I didn't tell you guys, but I've been gone for three years. <laughs> <laughs> when we drafted Scotty Barnes, I actually went away and it's mm. other people have been running the team. I came back. I was like, wow, we haven't made a trade. What happened? And then we did it. <laughs> um, big guys that are left in the market, mm. if it's not Mitchell and it's not Murray, it does feel like Portland has just too many guys and like that Jeremy Grant that's probably would be sitting there for the Sixers would be my guess is their target and then there's a Kuzma piece I, I personally don't think Kuzma's looked that good this year um, and then Rozier and then maybe you could you know bottom feed a little bit like what if the Suns get unhappy with Eric Gordon could you rent Eric Gordon for four months and give them picks back that then they could flip for somebody else who what are the other guys you would bottom feed on it's a well, little I mean, tougher now that Memphis is more respectable too. Like that's a team you could see them being some rotation pieces you could maybe pick off. Por like Portland has them, but their best guys are young in ways yeah. they probably want to invest in. So yeah, you can get in on the Brogdon market. Um, I I mean the Rob Rob Williams getting hurt changes things a little bit. He could have been one of those guys hypothetically. I don't know, Justin. Who who are you seeing here? I mean, does this ultimately have to be a Warriors discussion? Yes. Like, do they hit the eject I'm button so ready. and material change their team? Does Clay Thompson become available and not only as like an expiring contract for certain players, but does a younger team want to bring him in and say like, hey, can you just rear our young team? Like, 
the Grizzlies, for instance, could use like a steady hand. It might be a little bit of a weird chemistry fit after they would be, have been barking at each other for seemingly like five years, those two teams. But like, I'm waiting for the Warriors to do something. I think they need to do something. And if they do, I think it changes the market pretty significantly. Yeah, but they don't you think they would do the Chris Paul expiring card and Kaminga or Wiggins versus like, I just, I honestly don't see them trading Clay. I don't think they'll do it. I think they, they probably they, should, but they won't. That, yeah, it's too tough when you when you're up to four titles with with uh, Curry and Quay. Draymond is the one that I'm watching because it's pretty obvious that he needs to move on to a different team. And I think the fact that they've looked differently and better without him that doesn't mean nothing. You know, they're four and nine in their last thirteen with him. Um, there's a couple teams that I think could talk themselves into him and just in general, now that Jackson Davis is looking like a guy who could play 25 minutes a game for them, I could see, uh, I, I just feel like something's going to happen with them on that front. I still, I'm not as, to me, I'm way more worried about the Grizzlies. Like, cause people are like, they're back. Here they come. Well, first (laughs) of all, they shouldn't have won either of those new Orleans games. They got killed by the Clippers last night and they can't fucking rebound. Like, I think Triple J had two rebounds last night and Zubats had like 20. So, you know, the fact that not having Adams and not having Clark for this whole season, it's fun to have Ja back and Smart's back and their top four are fun. But ultimately, like, they, I just don't think they're big enough and have enough rebounding to conceivably go through. Watching them against Clippers last night, they just got smoked. So they would have to go, what, 34 and... 17 now to get to 44 wins I, with the size that they have i don't see it rob i think it's less by the numbers and more conceptually they're better positioned right now than the warriors probably are if we're being totally honest about where those two teams are headed and then the suns are a team that could spiral out of control the rockets are a team that could regress just given the youth of yep. their roster and who they're relying on so it's less about memphis being so great they do have some ground to make up but it's not a ton of ground. And so I, I could see them making that 10th spot with an underwhelming mm. record if some of these other teams, the bottom falls out. But as well, far so as they, other- they would have to have Houston, Phoenix, or Golden State would be the three teams, unless there's some major injury yeah. to a star. But Houston may be the most likely. Yeah. Just because their road like record's the bad. Yeah. They seem a little flimsy, but um, I did the Phoenix thing, I, you guys. <laughs> We, we could spend five hours on that. I would I would have no answers for you. Who the fuck knows? I'm uh, I, I'm pretty concerned about them. Yeah. Can I zag again here? Yes. yes. I, I'm kind of okay with it. Like, this is sort of what we expected if those three guys weren't going to be able to play. We talked about it all summer. Yeah, they have injuries, da 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 But when they're on the court together, it looks fine. And in the interim, all of this stuff is just a prelude to that. And I know, like... Uh, injury could strike at any moment with these guys. Kevin Durant, certainly not a paragon of health the past couple of years. Bradley Beal just struggling to stay on the court and not just roll an ankle at this point. But like the the outline of the team that we all expected to just be supercharged offensively is in there somewhere. And now maybe this is just because I saw them just completely wax the Hornets the other night. But like, yeah, I, I could still see it. And I don't know what would take away from it except for another injury. But this is the Suns' experience. As you're saying, this is what we all expected. They're still really impressive when they're all together. And I'm saying, this is what we all expected. They're probably going to be ninth or 10th place in the Western Conference. Right? That's, that is where they are. And that's who they're going to be so long as they're relying on not just those three guys, but Nurkic, but Eric Gordon, 
but a whole cast of guys with significant injury histories. Yeah, they bet on Beal, which was just nuts. It's just nuts. I just didn't understand that at all. Who plays 50 games a year? Nurkic, who's hurt every year. And Durant, who's had, you know, kind of a shocking amount of injuries on his body over the years. But what they're asking for him, I really think that was one of the reasons he started to get unhappy. It wasn't even like all the different stuff they were asking him to do on both ends because they were depleted. But probably him just knowing as an athlete, like, I, I probably shouldn't be playing like this at age 35 where – I have this much of a burden on both ends, but then on top of it, I'm not really in control of the offense as much as I thought I was going to be. I could see the unhappiness thing at the same time. He, you chose this Kevin Durant. This was, this was your pick and they had to trade all this shit for you with Phoenix. It's interesting because I didn't think they're going to be a top three team in the West. So I'm not surprised they're not doing well, but now it seems like they're doing so poorly. It's kind of amazing. They're 16 and 15, like nothing went right for this team all year. And the fact that they're 16 and 15 is is kind of amazing. It feels like their record should be worse. So I, I don't know what happens to them. If I had to, who would you pick, Justin, between Houston, Phoenix, Lakers, New Orleans, those four teams to drop out of the top 10 if you had to bet on one? Because somebody's got to move for Golden State and Memphis. Yeah. Houston seems like the easy pick for me like they've had yeah. a pretty remarkable start to the season but you're already starting to see the seams kind of come undone with that team like yes shangun has been a revelation he's the blog all-star everybody loves yeah. him everyone loves the yokichess kind of whiff to him but like even fred van vliet seems to be grinding away at certain young players jalen green for instance hasn't really taken the leap i think we were all expecting to like other than shangun is any young play- player really rising to the fore there and i think that is the long term issue if you're talking about the way that they they kind of supercharged and upgraded their their young shitty team is just like did we trade great for pretty good and i wonder even this season if that is is a high ceiling that they might not reach i mean i think they traded a shitty team for a much more stable one and one where like you can see what the floor is now and that they're building something and it's it's not just structurally around shangun but like i think i think jabari's been pretty good um we still haven't seen like any we haven't seen anything meaningful from amen thompson yet so that's a big upside piece who could come into play for them over the next couple seasons i don't have any problem with houston's longer term trajectory but obviously i agree for this season if you're saying who is more likely to make the play in the Houston Rockets led by Alperen Sengun or the Lakers led by LeBron James, even though a lot of the big picture indicators would tell you the Rockets have been a better team to date, how do you bet against uh, uh, you know players like LeBron, even if you're comparing the Rockets to Kevin Durant and Devin Booker and like more established players like that? It's, it's just a harder sell, admittedly. I have the Lakers and the Warriors, to me, are going to be in the play, in the at least the play-in, but they're going to be in the top 10. The Warriors... It, it, there's just they have too much talent, you know, and they still have a top seven guy, and it would things would have to go really, really wrong. I'm with you, probably Houston. I gotta say, I wouldn't the Dallas piece where Dallas is getting this insane Luka year, and they're only 18 and 14. I know Kyrie's missed some games, but they're so Luka dependent. It's one of those things where if he like strains a calf for two weeks, that that team's gonna <laughs> go one and one and eight those nine games. Um, I don't see it with Memphis. I just don't think I don't think they have enough to to get there, which brings us back to the trade part where if they don't have enough to get there, do they do guys like Conchar and, and you know some of their role guys become a little more interesting on the uh on the old open market. 
yeah, Memphis could be kind of on either side of the trade and like the trade market and spectrum, right? They could be buyers or sellers conceivably, just given everything they have to work with. The team we're kind of jumping around in the standings is another trade one to watch, the Utah Jazz. I don't really mm. see them going anywhere. You could see a contender plucking off a Kelly Olynyk, for example. You could see them plucking off like John Collins has not had a great season, but maybe someone can talk themselves into him or Colin Sexton. Oh, poor John Collins. He's back in the trade machine. Straight back like, in. I just another, left. Another I was all-star. There for four years. <laughs> do you think the, the do you think the Nets could be a trade team? I mean, they're they're already basically resting guys pick. during random regular season games. Like maybe maybe some of those guys are gettable for teams that are above them in the standings. Well, one thing for them is they have that Ben Simmons contract, which is somehow still has another year left after this, but it is a giant contract that you can put into any trade and take other teams' bad contracts back if you get the player you want. Um, yeah, I, I mean, we didn't mention Bogdanovich on Detroit. Well, you can't trade Who, for him. We all know that. You can't trade well, him now. <laughs> you know, the hardest, I think, I saw, and I try to watch every Celtic game. I've probably seen 85% of the season. The hardest I've ever seen a team play against them in Boston was that Pistons team the other night. Like they went all, I was actually really impressed. It was a really noble loss by them, but Bogdanovich is good. Like he's, you know, he's somebody offensively that you could go to at the end of games who's crafty and can create shots. And I really wanted them to win. Cause as you know, I really care about this home streak and I was scared of Bogdanovich and it's just that guy makes 20 million a year and could be a somebody on one of these playoff teams we're talking about. That's probably that's really the only one I think on the, other than Isaiah Stewart, who I think is another blog guy, MVP. I think everybody sure. loves Isaiah Stewart, pretty cheap contract. He's got a poison pill thing, but for a team like OKC, that to me, he's the perfect OKC guy. Like I he, think if they could get him unbelievable in order to trade for any of the Pistons guys, you just have to be so sure that their fit with you is better than the fit with the Pistons, because there is <laughs> right. that thing where it's like, if they were this valuable, if they were this right. good, <laughs> Wouldn't the Pistons have won a single game in the last three months? So right. you, you have to kind of work around those kinds of things, logically speaking. But yeah, Boyan's been the kind of player who could benefit a lot of teams for a long time. And honestly, to kind of to kind of close the loop on this conversation, the kind of like a, a weird offensive blueprint for what you would want OG Ananobi to be, right? Like not just a guy who catches in the corner, but who can catch an attack, who can catch and move, who can catch and pass and make the next play. And we've been waiting for that stuff from OG for a long time. He, he's it. flashed. He's flashed some of it. He, he. It seems like the things he wants to do are not necessarily the things that are contributive to help healthy offense sometimes. But he's so talented. He's so athletic. He's so big. Like the the bones are there of someone who could be a more interesting offensive player. If the Pistons I mean, trade anyone from this team, do you think like the like the entire Calandrillo family just descends upon Detroit and just like <laughs> starts filling in roles here? Like, how are the Pistons going to trade off and the NBA be okay with that? It's a great question. You were you were talking about Ananobi. It's year seven. You kind of are who you are. Like we've all been working with Waz for a while. Waz wasn't going to be up at ten o'clock for the. For the OG Ananobi got traded call. He's just, he's <laughs> gonna still be asleep with his notifications off. OG Ananobi, it's year seven. You are who you are. You're gonna get steals and blocks. You're gonna be a really good defensive player. You're gonna make open threes. But do I want, do I wanna ISO you on the right side with four minutes left and have you try to beat somebody? No, I don't. But I like him. Yeah. Like what's, what's the salary for him, Justin? Is he, 
is it 120 for four? Do you go higher than that? It's a pretty depressed free agent market, and you got a lot of teams with cap space too. That's the problem. I, I just think there only takes one or two guys, and then all of a sudden this guy is making his max. And I think you probably have to trade with him, assuming that you're going to have to overpay to keep him. Otherwise, oh, wink, wink. W- it? Why do this? Yeah. I mean, I guess the Rose family might have a discussion or two over the holidays that, where they could maybe not talk about this or pretend mm. that they d- talked about it. So I could see it. Um, well, yeah, and they also I, have I just, Hartenstein's a max guy, right? Like, is he. No question. Just max him out. Is it like, what is it, 250 for five? <laughs> yeah, 120 for 120 for OG. I'm I'm taking the over on that. I think he's gonna make more. I don't know that I'd feel Oof. good about it, but RJ just made he, he's do what 107 or so, 108 or so over four years. I, I think OG's gonna kind of shoot that market by a pretty wide margin. Do you guys buy into the theory that when the fans of a certain team seem to be aligned? on a guy they're watching every day one way or the other that that has real stakes for you? Because I find that I do trust that with people that I know are actually watching. And like I said earlier, all, all my Knicks fan friends were kind of like, uh, RJ. Like they, they were pretty disgruntled. And then he would have a moment where he'd have, like, he'd, have, he'd have those stretches where he'd have like a good like 10 days and they'd be like, RJ, it's happening. And then it would kind of <laughs> fade off again. I... I don't know a Knicks fan who's like, oh my God, I can't believe we gave up RJ. I think you're describing how QAnon took off also. <laughs> <laughs> it's just like groupthink is, is, is not always the best thing. The, the origin story of QAnon was a bunch of people on a subreddit being very angry about Dwight Powell together. And then right. that led to everything, you know, that led to Pizzagate, that led to the whole, the whole reel of things. So I think we'd be very careful about this kind of radicalization, Bill. <laughs> I do feel like when people watch the same players day in and day out, like Pritchard, who is somebody I think the Celtics might actually potentially trade by February. And I like Pritchard. There's teams with length that he becomes, it just is a problem for him. When you when he's playing one of those teams that's just long everywhere, it's really hard for him to get a shot off, to get his stuff off in traffic. But he's also, he's he's such a smart offensive player for what his skill set is. Like, he figures out how to do it, but I just, there's certain teams in the playoffs that I think he's going to be a liability for them. And I wonder if they see it. Um, and you can't switch with him on defense and smarter teams target him. Like, that Golden State game was instructive where they kept Horford out there and it was like minutes 31 through 40. Really, they should have brought in Pritchard and gone a little smaller and just tried to switch, but they couldn't do it with Pritchard. So that's something like, I just feel that way because I've watched all of Pritchard's career and I don't know if that shows up in the stats, but I also might've seen too much of them. That's the, the flip side of this is when you're watching the same guys over and over again, you start picking things apart and, and kind of going glass half empty. Yeah, that's where the intimacy, obviously, of watching someone repeatedly and seeing the whole arc of their career, you see them against different kinds of matchups, you see them in different roles, that stuff is all really helpful. I think with fan bases where it gets tricky is when you're talking about just the players and how did they play in this game, the seventh and eighth guys on those teams just get roasted for their weaknesses. And then when it comes time for us to make up some fake trades and we're trying to put the seventh or eighth best player in a deal, it's like, we couldn't possibly part with that guy. He's, he, he's too essential to the infrastructure of our team. So it's almost like the context of how they're talking about them is as important as how they actually feel about them. So, Justin, rem- who won the 2019 draft then? Because RJ just got traded. 
Jodges is coming off a 25-game suspension, and Zion is has created the first ever basketball reference page where your stats get worse every year all over the place. And he's getting like off-centered giant crosses tattooed to his body. I don't know if you guys saw that. <laughs> it's a tough where, look. like, man, I, that guy should not be taking shirtless photos right now because all I saw was like how much extra holiday good stuffing he probably all right, got relax <laughs> again relax but i mean like ja is definitively the best player or the most sure. productive player out of all of these and i still take even though he he has some interesting choices with his career and his lifestyle i, I still think you take the bet on ja that he could figure that out rather than zion who needs to be motivated and rj who let's just be frank he's just okay he's, he's pretty good he's never going to be great yeah he's a but, distant number three not exactly a hitter's team behind those guys, though. You know, your DeAndre Hunters, you know, your Jarrett Culver's, your Jackson Hayes. Garland. Garland's Garland been good. good. And hey, Kobe White, La Flama Blanca, as we know him, Justin, off, off to a hell of a start this season, or really a hell of a resurgence this season. So there's, there's some players to like, and more on the role player end of the spectrum, some guys to like, but at the top, it's tough when even the best, most talented prospects, the guys who are supposed to be not just franchise changers, but league changers, have had such huge questions around them and that RJ is just kind of shuffling around in relative anonymity in the biggest market in the world. And now back back on home turf, a, na- a native son returned to Canada, returned to Toronto or I'll have you know, for I love him here. It. Would you rather have Kobe White or RJ Barrett? Ooh. I think I'd rather have Kobe White. Do I we- think so too now. Yeah. What, what is our level of confidence that Kobe White is in fact Damian Lillard? Because it sure seems like it. <laughs> So you would, if you redrafted this, Jaw first. Garland where would you even Z- take? Where would you take Garland Zion, Zion. In a redraft? Oh my gosh, Garland! Garland has to be ahead of Zion at this point, right? Like if the if the Pelicans called the Cavs and said, "We'll give you, we'll give you Zion for Garland right now, no questions asked." I don't think the Cavs do it. What do we think Garland's ceiling is, though? I I, I think, think he's higher a good than what po- we've seen. Yeah. I just think he's going to be such a liability in the playoffs that -hmm. like he's a classic example of the type of guy who might be successful and then will surge you to the second round. Then all of a sudden he's getting picked on. Justin, we're not inviting you to the let Darius Garland cook barbecue that we're having (laughs) in mid-January. I know Rob, Rob, you'll be there. You'll bring some barbecue sauce. I'm I'm always in for a Darius Garland barbecue of any kind, but I, I can't pretend I don't have concerns. I can't pretend that these New York Knicks didn't put those concerns in my head of just like him feeling so small against yeah. those kinds of matchups in the playoffs. Yeah, that's fair. So would you take Garland or Zion? I would take Zion. I would too. I think it's too much Garland. upside. I think I'd take Garland upside. Um, <laughs> man, Grant Williams was a top 10 guy from that draft. All right, we digress. Did we hit everything? I think, I think we so. hit more than everything. Great. This is fun. Good emergency pod, guys. Yep. Uh, thank you to Ben Cruz on production. Uh, we'll be back on Wednesday. Thank you, Bill, for joining us. Great to see you guys. Happy New Year. All right. We'll be back. See you then. There's a lot that could impress you about the all-new Honda Prologue EV. True, it's got class-leading passenger space and clean, thoughtful design and intuitive technology. But what really sets the Prologue apart from the competition is that it's more than an EV. It's a Honda. Honda, the power of dreams. Visit honda.com slash prologue to learn more.
This episode is brought to you by Lululemon. Guys, if you're ready for a new pair of pants, try one of Lululemon's ABC pants. They're made to make you look and feel good. And there's lots of different styles to choose from. My favorite, because I walk around LA every day, I like the joggers. I'm not jogging, I'm just walking fast. But if you're working out, I would try them out. And if you want something a little sleek, maybe business-like, maybe try the ABC Slim Fit Trouser. But I am a joggers guy. I just, once COVID happened, I was just like, I'm, I want to wear jogging pants and joggers and all kinds of soft pants as much as I possibly can, especially when I'm working out. Ultra comfortable and versatile. ABC pants are really in a league of their own. Buy a pair right now at lululemon.com. 